0: I'm going to encourage you. Go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew. Go to chapter six. I'm not going to have slides to follow along with um, this morning, but we're going to dive right in. This is the last week in our series about spiritual discipline. This is our last week in training ground, and we started a message last week talking about the discipline. Of prayer, But we really never got any further than our Father. And I'll be honest with you, I could camp out on that phrase, Jesus teaching us to call God by the name Father. We could do a whole series on that for a year, and I don't think we would exhaust all that Jesus has for us, um, but we don't have that kind of time. So we're going to continue. But what we talked about last week is that we are... Abiders. We're called to abide in Christ. And we abide in Jesus like the branch abides in the vine. And when you cut the branch off the vine, what happens to it? It dries up. It, it, it withers. At our last house, we had grapevines that grew in the backyard. And uh, here's what I, I learned a couple of things about grapes. Number one if and there was only one year that we actually got to eat any of the grapes off of our vine um, because where we lived there was a creek that ran um, in some open space near our home and there are some critters that live down by the creek called raccoons and raccoons have a serious sweet tooth and every year Every year we were in this house, I would, I would be so anxious. I'd watch the clusters forming, their, their little green grapes, and every once in a while I'd go pick one and pop it in my mouth. Oh, it's so sour, and we got to wait a little bit longer, and they're not, they're, not, they're not ready. But my intent every year was, I'm going to pick them just before they're ready, because I'm going to get to them before the raccoons. And I'm talking, these grapevines would be slap full of grapes. And I would go out there as it was getting close to time. And in the span of one night, every grape on my vines would be gone. Every year except for one. Just completely gone. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned about grapevines is you have to prune them heavily. And I was always reticent to take too much off. But what I learned over the years, and not that I'm a master vine dresser or anything like that, but that the heavier you prune the vine, the more fruitful they would be come harvest time. The more heavily you cut back the old wood, the more fruitful those vines tended to be. But those branches that I cut off would be just, they'd just be dry and crumbly. And the only good use I could find for them, thanks to my dad was that grapevines that had been cut off, that were dried up and crumbly, were great to throw in the smoker for smoking meat. That's it. Grapevines that are, that are no longer attached to the real vine are good for nothing but fire. Fire. So I would save a bag of those old crumbly grapevines and I would keep that with the smoker. But here's the thing. There are many disciples, and we, talk, we talked about this as we looked in the Gospel of John just a little bit last week, that are, we're like those old cut-off branches from my backyard, grapevines. We're withered. We're dry. Uh, we, we, we at one time had the life of the vine Running through us, we we even bore fruit. Some of us at one point or another, but we got busy just doing life. We got busy. Some of us doing good ministry, but what happens is we became a branch that was unattached to the vine. And some of us know it. We sense it. We feel it. That we don't have the same vigor. Maybe we're doing the same things. Maybe we're doing good things, but we don't have that sense of life in us anymore. Some of us have become the very thing that we actually despise. We've just become religious because we're not abiding in the vine maybe it was we thought we were responsible and had to we had to give life to everyone else around us we had to make sure that everybody else was okay everybody else was taken care of but in doing that when we're not attached to the true vine we get worn out we get exhausted we don't get tired in the work we get tired of the work And there's a big significant difference. And friends, we don't ever want to be tired of the work. We want to be tired in the work. We want to be people who are tired in the work of God, being refreshed because we're attached to the true vine. We're crumbly. And the truth is, with just a little bit of heat, we feel like we're going to go up in flames. Why? Because we're living like a branch detached from the vine. And there's no life over here for the branch. There's life In the vine. And abiding happens through the communion we experience in prayer. This is sort of the main thing that we talked about last week. Remember when the disciples walked with Jesus, observing the miracles, observing the preaching, the healings, the feeding of thousands on hillsides, the walking on water, the walking up the tombs and saying, Lazarus, come forth. Observing all of that. It was this that caused the disciples to say, Teach us that. It was the abiding that they saw in Jesus, the dependence that they saw in Jesus upon his Father, that they walked back, they stepped back and said, That, that, that is what we have to have. We see how dependent you are on your Heavenly Father in prayer. So, Lord, teach us that. Teach us. Because if you're that dependent on your Heavenly Father, we recognize you are Messiah. You can walk on water. You can heal people. You can feed the masses. You preach and the words coming out of your mouth are unlike anything we or anyone else has ever heard. If you, being God, are that dependent on your Heavenly Father, we recognize as disciples that we have to be dependent on our Father. So, in a way, you sense from the disciples, from walking with and and observing Jesus, you sense that what they had was a complete and total desperation for God. And somebody, just before we even dive into our text, can I just ask us all to take an ask an introspective question here this morning? What is it that you are desperate for? What is it that you are just so very desperate? Where must you see God move in your days? What are we hungering and thirsting for? In response to the desperation of the disciples, Jesus gives them a model for praying, and and Jesus gives them this model prayer. And let me just say at the beginning, uh, we don't necessarily have to pray these exact words. There's nothing wrong if you do pray the Lord's prayer. Nothing wrong at all. Jesus gave it to us. It is a good gift from Jesus for us. But Jesus is not indicating that the only way to pray is to pray these exact words. Words. I don't even think Jesus is indicating that we have to use any of the words in the Lord's prayer. It's perfectly normal and acceptable to pray to our Heavenly Father as God. You can address Him as Lord. And many times I've directed my prayers directly to the Holy Spirit. And the reality is God is not confused by your prayer life. God is big enough, smart enough... Wise enough and powerful enough that when we pray to him, even if we don't say Father, but if we say Jesus, don't you think he gets it? Don't you think it goes to the same place? Like he's not sitting up there, I believe, in heaven on his throne. And when we go to him in prayer, we said, Lord, instead of Father, I don't think God up on his throne is saying, with his checklist, well, they they didn't get that right. So I don't think I'm going to listen to this prayer. But oftentimes, I think we treat our prayer lives that way, that it can become so formulaic that it's not relational. So, I want us to read this section of Matthew chapter 6, and I want to draw our attention to a few points that Jesus made to his disciples that I believe will greatly impact, can greatly impact, the way in which we pray. But before I do, I ran across this quote from one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buchner said, we do, we do well not to pray the Lord's Prayer lightly. I thought this was so rich. It takes guts to pray the Lord's Prayer at all. To speak those words is to invite the tiger out of the cage to unleash a power that makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. There is something in this model prayer that Jesus gave to the disciples that taps in to the relational power we have with our Heavenly Father. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 6. Let's begin there and read a couple verses together. Jesus begins in, in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may be praised by others, and truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So a couple of things that I just want to talk to us about in regards to prayer. I don't I don't usually... I'm not usually very good at alliteration, but all of these are going to start with the letter P this morning, okay? And so I feel very Baptist this morning in my preaching, okay? Number one thing that Jesus teaches us here is don't be, there's a couple do's and a couple don'ts. Number one, don't be a parader. Don't be a parader. We talked about this a little last week, but Jesus is so clear to us that we have no business flaunting our good deeds in front of others. So, so But wait a minute, we're, we're talking about praying? Or are we talking about action this morning? Are we talking about other stuff? we're talking about communing with or abiding with the Father. And there's a recurring theme all throughout the Bible. It's one of the themes that you've probably seen yourself, that you've heard preached, maybe you've taught on it. But one of the recurring themes throughout the Bible is that God doesn't care about the outside, but God cares about what? Okay, another word for the inside is God cares about the all right, let's say that all together with a little bit of authority. God cares about my heart. God cares about your heart. And so when we, when we see this collision, this intersection between praying and action, we're reminded that it's not the stuff on the outside that my heavenly Father is concerned with at all. I mean, he, all throughout Scripture, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is your heart. In order to, be, to abide in him, you have to care about what he cares about. So getting our heart in line with his values, we haven't even started praying yet, prepares us for abiding in him, prepares us for communion with him. So don't be a parader of your own goodness. There is only one who is good. Amen? So what do we have to parade anyways? Verse 5, he continues, and he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have also received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So don't be a parader, but also don't be a pretender. Don't be a pretender. It's important that we understand what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus warns us about pretending to be one thing while we're actually someone else. What do you call a person who is one way yet pretends to be something else? We call those people hypocrites. A hypocrite by the way, is not someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but then messes up in the week. Do you know what that person is called? A person. A follower of Jesus. A person who claims to follow Jesus, but then messes up the day after they claim to be a follower of Jesus, is just a person, or just a follower of Jesus, because not a single one of us in the room have attained sinless perfection we're not there. You, me, we are a work in progress. So a hypocrite, this is so important, a hypocrite is not looking at someone who claims to follow Jesus. Maybe they teach a Sunday school class, they volunteer in ministry, and then oops, they blew it during the week. What a hypocrite. No, but they're a work in progress. Uh, 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 Jesus is talking about hypocrites. He'll use this word all throughout these, these chapters here. He'll use it again in chapter 7. Uh, uh, so, when Jesus used the word hypocrite, what people would have immediately had come to mind was a person in their day, culturally speaking, a person who was an actor. That's a hypocrite. A person, not, not all actors are hypocrites. You, you get my point here. Okay, But they would have heard that word and they said, oh, an actor. Someone who puts on a mask, plays a role, and then takes the mask off and goes back to being who they genuinely are. They put their mask on and they play their part. So Jesus is telling us that if we put our mask on to play a part at church, to play a part around our Christian friends, to play a part around our student ministry, our youth group friends to play a part around our our Sunday school teacher, to play a part around our accountability group, even to play a part around our, our spouse or our children or our parents. But then that's not who I really am. That is a hypocrite. See, it has to do with, again, the heart. So don't be a pretender, right? Jesus says if we're going to approach the Father in prayer, we come honestly we need to be honest with them about who we are, about what we struggle with. We need to be honest with ourselves. Pretenders, Jesus would say, are tombs. But on the outside, they might be washed, painted, and clean. But on the inside, they reek of death. So don't be a parader. Parader. Like flaunting our our, our supposed goodness in front of other people. But don't be a pretender to yourself or to your heavenly father or others. No regard for God's name or reputation during the week, but on Sunday, that's another thing. I can teach, I can sing, I can lead. That's a hypocrite. Don't be a pretender. Because as dangerous as it is, and this is the most important part about this, as dangerous as it is to fool other people about who you really are, it is far more dangerous to eventually you start to believe your own press. And eventually, we can lie to other people so much that we start to believe those lies ourselves about who we really are. So don't be a parader. Don't be a pretender. And Jesus continues. He's very clear. He says, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Jesus is not saying, by the way, that we shouldn't be persistent in prayer. Now look at verses 7 and 8 and 9 with me. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And He's not against uh, repetitious prayer he's not against faithful prayer he's not against persistence in prayer in fact in Luke chapter 11 he tells a parable that we should consistently and persistently approach God in prayer he's saying pour your heart out to him that he's blessed by that he's blessed by our persistence he's blessed by us continually seeking after him and abiding in him through prayer now what he's warning about is the worthless and meaningless repetition. We talked about this in great detail last week. It's easy to believe that the power is in the words of our prayer when we know is is that the power is in the person who hears and is able to answer our prayer. So Jesus has told us, don't give give in to the ways of the Pharisees. Don't pray like they do. Don't trust in your own righteousness. Don't try to impress. Don't don't be a hypocrite. Take your walk with the Lord seriously. And as seriously as you take prayers, how seriously each of us takes our entire walk with the Lord because it's all here. It's all here. The abiding is here in in our prayer. So let's read the Lord's prayer together and what Jesus has to say to us. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. So I'll give you a couple don'ts. Here's the do. Do have a plan. Do have a plan. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about abiding in Christ. It's not going to happen by accident. Do you know that? that? There's nothing really that you're very good at in your life, most likely, that you didn't have a plan to become good at. Some of you may be naturally gifted at something, but if you're really, really great at something... You probably had to work at it, didn't you? All right, I want you to turn to somebody near you and tell them something. Just brag on yourself for a little bit, not in an arrogant way, but what's something you've worked to become good at? Just tell somebody around you. What's something you've worked to become good at? So, what's some, what's, what's, what did someone say? What's something you've had to work at to become good at? Anybody? Man. What? Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I love it. What else? Somebody over here. What have you had to work at and become good at? Be a better husband. Amen. That does take work. It does take work. Anybody else? Pardon? Fishing? Oh, patience. I thought you said fishing. I was like, I, that, you're talking my language. <laughs> I, becoming good at fishing actually, actually is good for your patience as well. Patience, yes. Anybody else? Homemaker. A homemaker. And what? Any sport. any sport. But being a good homemaker, being good in any athletic arena requires. Plan. It requires work, doesn't it? Why would we think it would be any different with prayer? It it takes work to become good at praying. And for some reason, that just feels counterintuitive to us. Like, why? It's just talking to God. It is just talking to God. But it, it is the lifeblood. Remember, we're talking about abiding. I don't know about you, but I think I know about most of us. I don't want to be a crumbly branch. I want to be a green vine. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be a person that bears much fruit. And if prayer is the, the life's blood of my walk with the Lord, if it is the key to abiding, and I believe the, the, the Scriptures teach us that, that I want to become good at, at praying to my heavenly Father. So we should, have, we should have a plan. And that's not to say that we shouldn't. Paul also tells us that we should be in this constant state of prayer, pray without ceasing. So that's not to say that we don't just have conversational intimacy with the Father, but it does, if we have a plan, God can use that to strengthen our prayer life. That's why Jesus gave us. Of all the things, this is interesting, that Martin Luther was known for. And he's known for the 95 Theses and nailing up against the door and all that good stuff. And Reformation Day, October 31st. Um, All of that he's known for. But in his day, he was most known for his dedication to prayer. He's most famous for commenting, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And he wasn't exaggerating either. Martin Luther was such a busy man that he if you talk to people who were friends with him or even some people that were being discipled by him, it was almost comical. It was almost burdensome to other people. that He'd just stop what he was doing if he got too busy and he would spend hours in prayer. And so we want to have a plan for praying as a part of our prayer life. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things that Jesus points out here in the model prayer. Number one is praise. Whenever you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise is such an important part of prayer. Hallowing the name really means that we set the name apart as, as holy. Can one of us, can you in your can you actually make God more holy than he is? No, I mean, he, he is all holiness all of the time. And so me praying to him and hallowing the name, I'm not actually making God more holy, am I? I'm not setting him apart more. He is already completely and totally set apart. He is awesome. In every way, glorious, beyond compare and beyond description. But when I hallow the name of the Father in prayer, as I praise Him, what I'm really doing is I'm realizing how holy He is and how low I am. And beginning our prayer by recognizing the holiness of God sets us on a pathway because because first we come to Him as Father, A father who wants to engage us in prayer. And second, I've come to him and I'm recognizing just how set apart and holy and perfect he is. And we don't live between the tension of holiness and father. We live embracing both at the same time. Fully. Completely. There's no tension between God's love and God's holiness. Jesus was the embodiment of both, 100%. So we don't live between the tension. We live fully embracing both in our lives and demonstrated in our prayer that God, you are holy, and I recognize you as holy, and I set you apart in my life, and I want to know more of your holiness. And God, I just want you to know, above everything else, you are set apart. Your name is precious to me. And so we start with praise. Number two, purpose. It says, your kingdom come. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come. There's f- several things that I believe when we're praying for the kingdom to come that, that, we're, that we're really asking the Lord for. The first one is kingdom expansion. And so we say, God, your kingdom come. We're praying that God's kingdom will come by growing physically, that I, I I'm not ashamed to say that I want to see the kingdom of God grow on earth in these days. I want to see men and women, boys and girls and families uh, come to faith in Jesus. I want to see hell wrecked in this community in these days. So when we're praying for the kingdom to come, we're praying for kingdom expansion and growth. We're praying for missionaries who are on the front lines of kingdom expansion. And so when I'm praying your kingdom come, I'm praying those things. God, be with this family that we support financially as a missionary. Be with these families that we're praying about and we're, we're, we're asking you to do a mighty work in their name. Be with this ministry and work through them as you bring about your kingdom in these days on this earth. But we're also praying that Christ would come and actually establish his kingdom on earth. So there's a piece of our prayer where we're looking forward in longing. Revelation twenty two twenty, 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so when we pray, God, bring your kingdom on earth. Yes, bring it now. Bring it now as as we see gospel-informed change in our community. We're praying for God to do amazing things. You know, last week I began to share with you about this, this, I don't even know what to call it, a movement of God at a university campus in Asbury. Remember I was talking about this last week? Throughout the last week it's spread. There are other university campuses where there have been college students on their faces before the Lord begging Him, will you move amongst our student body? And there are university campuses across this nation that it has spread to, Lee up in Tennessee, right? Another place we're seeing university campuses where they're on their faces praying before the Lord, where there's not there's not a there's not a paid professional staff member that's up leading the whole deal. That it's just young people on their faces before God, repenting, turning to Him, and then students are gathering in different corners of, of their campus, opening God's word, reading it and saying, Teach us. I don't know if you call that revival, I don't know if you call it awakening. I, I just I, it's a movement. And when when I see those things, when I see those headlines, when I hear from people that that are on these campuses, that should inform things that I pray about. I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come. And when I see the kingdom of God coming, I say, yes, Lord, go. Do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, may the kingdom come here in our days as well. But listen, we have to be okay. Are are, are we okay if God chooses to bless the church down the street? That we're praying for God to move in our community. We want to see a special move of God and we're asking for that. But what if he chooses to do that at First Baptist? What, What if he chooses to do that at the Assembly of God Church down the street? Are we more concerned about our kingdom or are we more concerned about his kingdom? So we see the kingdom coming. That should spur us to pray and beg for God to move even more in our days, in our midst. And if you see fit, Father, to use me, here I am, your vessel. But if you see fit to use him, to use her, your kingdom come your kingdom come. Then after we've we've prayed for that, we're reminded as we're praying for the kingdom that prayer is not a way to bend the will of God to our will. I'm not praying. Listen, when we go to God in prayer, and you know this and I know this, I'm not going to God and actually informing him about things that are going on in the world. I mean, we know that. Oh, dear God, there is a war in Ukraine right now. It's been going on for over a year now. Oh, dear God, there is this thing called COVID-19. Have you heard of it? And the Lord in heaven, as I say, no, I need to go, look, I need to go Wikipedia that. I need to find out about that. So I'm not coming to him, informing him, and then changing and bending his heart to my will. No, no, coming and praying the kingdom, it's not informing him about stuff that is going going on in our world and trying to get him to do what we want him to do. Prayer is a way of bending our heart to the will of the Father's heart. It allows us to be a part of what God is doing in carrying out his will on the earth. And we declare that we want to see God's will carried out here on earth the way that it is carried out in heaven. That's when we pray, your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. How is the will of God done in heaven? Perfectly. And in total completeness. So when I'm praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And God, I want to see your will done in my life, in my days. What am I praying? God, that you would have your way in my heart and in my life completely. That I would be 100% surrendered to you. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. My media choices, the way that I speak about other people, the way that I operate in my dating relationships, your kingdom come. Where? God, how about you start my life? How about you start by reshaping my heart and my desires? That's what we're praying. We pray the kingdom to come. Then we pray for our physical needs. We pray for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. One of the promises that should give us hope for each day is that God does indeed supply our needs. We sang it together. Like, I mean, we we're moved some of us. All my life, you've you've been faithful, God. Right? God, does God meet your needs? Well, one person, I guess. Does God meet your needs, gang? Then tell somebody about it. And testify to the fact that God is a, is a need-meeting God in your life. Have you ever prayed something and God answered that prayer? Just raise your hand. Well, we should talk about that way more than we do. God meets our needs And this should cause us to continually rely on, depend on our Heavenly Father. So we ask Him to supply all of our needs for the day ahead. And God provides everything, and that includes the physical. One of the things that I am still learning uh, after, goodness, 32 years of being a follower of Jesus, that sometimes I feel, I'm just being honest with you, sometimes I feel like my request are too small or too petty to go to my father with. Like, I know you have big things going on up there. I know you have your eye on wars around the world. And I know that there are huge issues in the world. And I know that there are mass shootings. And I know that there is great evil in the world. And sometimes it feels silly for me to go to him and say, hey, my car won't start. And I need, I need some help. But you know what I'm learning but if it's important to me, it's important to him because I'm important to him. That when my children come to me and, um, especially the boys when they were younger, and they're still young, but when they were younger, Dad, can I can I get a rifle? And you know what my answer was? I'm just tell you, my answer was no, right. We live in a subdivision and you're five. <laughs> but Dad, you you're going hunting and elk hunting, I don't want to do that. And again, we live in a neighborhood, right? And and you're five. And the answer sometimes is no. And sometimes does God say no to our prayers? Yes, but what's the motivation there? It's not like, oh man, like as a dad, like I just want, it's not like I want my kids to come ask me for, let's be honest, for stupid stuff, just so I can say no. Like, I don't encourage them, come ask me anything you want, right, just so I can burst your little heart, I can burst the bubble. No, the the answer sometimes is no, because I love you, right? I mean, every parent, every grandparent understands that. Like, can I have this? No. You may not. Why? Because I love you. And maybe you're not ready for that gift yet. Maybe that gift would not be good for you, even though you really, really want it. But I want my kids to come to me and ask. Because the asking demonstrates relationship. And every need you have in your life, nothing is too small for you to take to your father. Why? Because if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to him. Because you, my friend, are a big deal to to him and since this is a part of his plan teaching us to pray then we should never hesitate to ask here's some great news while this is a model of prayer god is again not sitting up in there in heaven with a checklist to see if you get things in the right order if you roll out of bed or, or let's just say you can't roll out of bed in the morning Maybe you've had a day where you woke up in the morning and you just laid there and you didn't feel like you had the strength to put your feet on the floor and face the day. Your heavenly father is not looking down on you and saying, you didn't say my father in heaven. You didn't start with praise. You started directly with a petition and God is not put off by that. He is saying, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. And so there may be days, my friends, where we have to simply say, God, give me the strength to even get out of bed. And that's the most honest prayer that some of us can pray. And yes, we need to hollow his name. We need to praise him and we need to come to him as father. But he's after your heart after sincerity in our prayers. Then he teaches us to pray for spiritual needs. Verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's not a day that goes by that we should not be mindful of the forgiveness, grace, and compassion of God. Gang, you and I are dependent on the grace of God, are we not? And the moment I am a less, the the moment that I think that I am a less of a wretch than someone else is the moment that I begin to become spiritually blind. But God provides our spiritual needs, and we should not neglect for asking for his help. And here he's talking to believers. So as believers, uh, we're still to go to God and ask for the forgiveness of our sins that we continually commit. Why? Because those things interfere with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Those things can can impact our growth in becoming more like His Son, Jesus. And and what He doesn't want is to see your spiritual growth stunted. When you sin, when I sin, and don't bring it to my my Father in Heaven, my relationship is stunted. I, 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 you, you've seen that. We've all seen this. We demonstrate when you have active sin in your life. When you've done something you knew was wrong, or have not done something that you knew to be right. Everybody, everybody so that we're on the same page. Everybody experienced doing something they knew was wrong. Yes? Okay. As a Christian, have you done something you knew was wrong? Okay. What does that do to your desire to get in God's Word? What does that do to your desire to be around God's people? Because for me, it just crushes it. And when I've sinned, I've got sin I don't even want to repent of. I just want to to hold on to that anger. I want to hold on to that hurt. And I find this holding on to me, and I don't even want to get in the Word. I don't even want to be around followers. I don't want to hear about your joy. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm miserable. Why do we confess? Why do we repent? Because we want to abide. We want our relationship to flourish. So our fellowship is not what it should be because we've not immediately brought it to our Father in heaven. Then our relationship suffers. When that confession isn't happening, we see our relationship is stunted. We refuse to give others. And the same thing happens. That's why he says, as we also have forgiven other people. Because when I'm not right with somebody else, and I'm holding anger against somebody else. And when somebody else is, when I've sinned against someone, they've sinned against me and I've not forgiven them. It affects not only that relationship, it affects my relationship with God, does it not? Yes. And he says we can pray for protection. Verse 4, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It makes sense that the same loving, compassionate, grace-filled God and kind Savior that went to such great lengths to have a relationship with us also would take the time to protect us as a shepherd does his sheep. His plans, his desires for me are so much better than my plans and desires for me. The problem is sometimes I don't make wise choices. So, so what, am, what am I asking God to do? Give me the wisdom to avoid temptation. Help me to walk on the path that you have set before me. The last thing it says is deliver us from evil. And the petition has the desire for both the immediate. Right now, right here, deliver me from evil, God. In future, you want to be delivered from evil, which can be de- translated the evil one. We ask to be protected from evil and sin daily. God, when I'm praying over my children, would you, would you protect them from the evil one? God, would you guard their minds? Would you, would, you, would you guard their eyes from seeing things that would damage their heart? From hearing things? God, miraculously, would you just block their hearing from hearing things that will wound them? Would you protect them from evil? You deliver us from evil, but also we ask to be protected from, from the, the... Peter tells us to always look about because Satan goes around like what? Like a roaring lion looking and seeking for someone to devour. So we should be ready and watching. We're asking to be delivered from evil. And I want to finish with we cling to the promises of prayer. We cling to the promise of prayer. and Look down to verse 25 with me, if you will. We don't usually preach about this when we talk about the Lord's Prayer. This is all the same conversation that Jesus is having. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Trouble Here it is. Your father loves you and your father sees you. And we cling to the promise of prayer. And here's the promise of prayer. That God sees you and he hears you. And when you go to your heavenly father in prayer, he actually sees you and hears you. And some of us in this room have been followers of Jesus, my guests, for 70 years or more. And I pray that none of us ever get over what I think is one of the most miraculous things that happens in the whole universe. God hears you when you pray. The creator of all is waiting to hear you say, Father, Father, He loves you. So cling to the promise of prayer. Our Father sees us. He hears us. And when you pray, you pray to your Father. He is here for you. He cares about you. He loves you. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the invitation this morning, a little different uh, than normal. We're actually going to pray. We're just going to pray. So here's what I would like to do. I'm going to read a line from this model prayer. And then I'm just going to be quiet. And each of us, where, where we sit. Just pray using the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, to guide us. And then I'll close us in a moment together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We declare you are amazing. You are set apart and holy. God, we want to come and magnify the name, your name, above all names. And so we do. We recognize your holiness this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just take a moment and pray through the kingdom coming and his will being done in your life and in our world. Father, we want to see Your kingdom reign in our days. We want to see Your kingdom in our community. We want to see gospel-informed community in Douglasville, Georgia and beyond. We want to see brokenness restored and men and women come to faith in Jesus, families healed, marriages that have been dead. Have life in them again. We want to see men and women freed from addiction. We want to see the kingdom of God come in our days. And God, we long for your kingdom. We long for the day that Jesus returns for his bride. And we believe it will happen. Have your way in my life. Have your way in my family. Have your way in this church. Have your way and our community. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you have needs? Of course you do. We all do. Take them to your Father. Father, we do pray for provision. I just pray for those in this room and those in our community who have real physical needs. Needs of healing. Needs of groceries. Needs of rent money. Needs of a better paying job so they can take care of their family. My Needs of a porch being repaired or needs of something being fixed on our homes. God, we bring to you our daily needs, and God, I just pray you to help us to remember that it's not too small to ask you for. And if it matters to us, even if the answer is no, you want us to come to you in prayer. So God, would you meet our daily needs and help us to trust you more for our daily needs. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So, Father, forgive me. Forgive me when I've had a bad attitude. Forgive me when I've been impatient. And God, I do pray that you would be in the business of refining me so that I would turn to you quicker when I sin. I don't want anything to stand between you and I. I don't want to abide in you. I don't want to be a branch trying to do life and give life to everyone else apart from being in the vine. So God, anything that stands in the way of intimacy with you, God, reveal it, that I'd see it and repent of it. God, walk with each of us in our relationships to seek forgiveness where it is needed and to forgive others for sin committed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Take a moment and pray about temptation in your life. Maybe the sin that so easily entangles you. Asking for the Father's help. Father, I just pray you'd guard my eyes and guide my heart this week. Lord, Lord, we know some of us what our triggers are that leads us into temptation. That's comparison or whether it's loneliness, whether it's anger, whether it's tiredness, God, we, we, we know there is an enemy of our souls, and he knows. He knows us. He seems to know us so well and how to trigger us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom this week to keep you in front of me and not the things that would tempt me. God, deliver me. Deliver my children, my wife, my friends, my family from the influence of the evil one this week. Would you watch over us and help keep us off wide paths and to stay on narrow paths that lead to life in you. God, we praise you, we thank you that when your people pray, you as our Father, hear us. You are good to us beyond compare. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and God's people said together, Amen.